is up, everyone? This is Raphael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 163 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. One of these days, I'm going to get the episode number right without having to check real hard like I always have to. But thankfully, we will be doing a lot more of these shows as we always are because MMA is back. We are coming off of our first UFC weekend in two months since the card in Brazil. So we're going to be talking about UFC 249, looking back at that, looking at UFC Fight Night 171, which is tomorrow. Um, We're going to do a quick, not a quick recap, we're going to talk about a couple of things from from that card and also do some listener questions as we usually do. Um, So as usual, let's start with Shawan Humes. How are you doing there, sir? Uh, No problems here, man. Staying busy, trying to find ways to stay busy. Well, I know you're, you've been busy coming up with ways to gloat about how you were basically right about this weekend's card. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that when the time is right. Um, but outside of that, how's everything else going? Not bad. Just do a lot of running, got my kids running, walking, training basketball when they're down, studying, just trying to keep them busy, trying to keep people proactive and at, proactive as far as a lot of lectures, like about money taking care of money and having multiple streams of income figure might as well get all that out right now because they're all 17 and 18 and 19 will come quick and uh when you get up when you get that age people's tolerance for bad decision making as far as money drops a lot so i'm trying to get them in the habit of making good decisions now while they still have some room for error so it's funny that you mentioned that because i've been trying to um not lecture but talk to my nephew about that type of stuff because he um he's 22 now i think so it's been some interesting conversations trying to have with him about that it's not it's not always the funnest but we're 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 getting better about that yeah the fun the fun conversations are always good to have i tell people whether you're a parent or you're some kind of uh father figure mother figure whatever the fun conversations are great, but the fun conversations aren't the ones that are really going to help the kids moving forward. Sometimes you just got to have tough conversations and break it down to them directly because, you know, you'd hate to think there's a problem and you could have, you would think you should have said something or you could have said something and you didn't. I just get it out of the way. So at least I know I did my part to keep them on track and hopefully keep them su- successful. True that. That's true all you that. can do. You make your effort. Very true. So let's talk about some MMA because we have some uh, stuff to recap. And I want us to start with UFC Fight Night, or excuse me, UFC 249, which was this Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida, where we had an excellent main event where Justin Gaethje had a coming out of part party of sorts as he dominated. Well, actually, that's one thing I want to talk about. As he won against Tony Ferguson, stopping him in the fifth round when referee Herb Dean stepped in and said enough is enough. But... I want to talk about that word um, that I almost used there, dominating, but we'll talk about that in a second, Schwan. I first want you to think about, looking at this fight here, what is it that you saw that led to Justin having such a clear path to victory? Um, Basically, I just felt he was A, the better athlete, B, the fresher fighter, and then when you come down to it, there's also the skill, there's the, not necessarily the skill level, but the ability to apply the skill intelligently. I knew that Justin's a much more focus and intellectual fighter than he seems a lot of people see his original style they're like he's just a brawler but if you look closer and i've said this for years he's a lot better defensively than you think he's a lot better on the counter than you think he's a lot he's a lot better on offense and setups so a lot of people were shocked when they see this 
development, but I felt that Justin Gaethje was always capable of doing this. He just made a conscious decision that he's not going to. And of course, the Trevor Whitman factor, uh, you know, former guests we had on the show uh, probably about a year ago or so. And um, he's one of the best coaches in mixed martial arts and has been so for the past, what, 10, 11, 12, 13 years. It just there was a lot of advantages in the corner of Gaethje on the physical side, on the mental side and on the technical side. I didn't I didn't see that kind of consistency, that kind of athletic ability and that kind of corner presence on the on the side of Tony Ferguson. They were just to me to me, I don't see anybody didn't see this coming. It, I, I just don't see how anybody didn't see it coming the way it happened. So let me ask you this then. Was this more Mm. There's a couple of different things. Hey, so I want to ask you this. What played more into this situation? Was it Justin Gaethje's skill and his growth as a fighter? Or is this more about the miles that have been on Tony Ferguson's body? Yes, he has not been competing as often as he would like, but no one really, like, I feel like everyone turned a blind eye to him being 36 years of age. If we were talking about I mean, Frankie Edgar is about the same age, and we talk about him in a different way. We acknowledge his um, body being put through the ringer over the years, and we kind of expect that um, if you look at how he's been fighting as of late. So with Ferguson, who's been winning for so long, have we kind of neglected talking about his eventual decline that comes with age? I think part of it is the physicality. He's had so many miles on him. And the fact is, and I've said this before, he doesn't, you attack a man's weaknesses to beat him, you attack their strength to break him. Tony Ferguson is always trying to break guys he's fighting. He's done that from day one, which means that even when he's facing guys who aren't top end athletes, who aren't KO punchers, who aren't even elite fighters, he's taking unnecessarily unnecessary amounts of punishment because he's trying to force the fight. He's trying to take fight them at their strength to let them know that I can beat you at your strength. And then once he establishes that, then he starts using his skills. Then he starts making adjustments after he's shown you that you can't beat him or that he can clearly beat you at your strength. And that's the biggest factor. You, It's not just that he's older. It's not that just that he's been fighting for so long. It's just he's taken so much punishment. I don't know what Tony Ferguson fight you can point to where he hasn't taken a ton of shots, been rocked left to right, been hit with every single shot in the book. Every fight he's been in, he's taken a lot of punishment. The only thing is, his volume and his physicality allows him to turn the pace of the fight. In this fight, part of it is he's not the athlete he used to be. He's not as durable as he used to be. He's not as physical as he used to be. That's part of it. But the other part of it is the part I've been saying for years. He tends to fight a very stupid fight. When you attack somebody at their strengths constantly, you're setting yourself up to make a fight more difficult than it has to be. You're setting yourself up for unnecessary punishment. And the, the thing with Tony Ferguson is there's a legend about him. He fights, he gets in these firefights, the other guy starts getting tired, the other guy starts getting defensive, and he overwhelms them. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't been facing guys, and I said this last week, who have the athleticism to make him pay. The last guy who did was Michael Johnson, who knocked him out, and Justin Gaethje. Everybody else has not been a dynamic enough athlete or hard enough hitter to really make him pay the way that he's going to pay if he refuses to make adjustments. That, that was essentially the, the difference. He didn't make any adjustments. He expected Justin to get tired like everybody gets tired. He expected Justin to get defensive like everybody gets defensive. And then his volume and his physicality would be the determining factors in the fight. Justin Gaethje was never scared off. Justin Gaethje never really got tired. Justin Gaethje never accepted fighting off the back foot or being defensive to get away from his pressure. Every time Ferguson came forward, 
Justin punish him. Every time Ferguson threw something, he either blocked it and encountered or he slipped it and encountered. Ferguson didn't have a chance to get momentum building because Gaethje was always right there to make him pay a price for whatever success he had. And that was, that was the determination of the fight. Now, Tony from five years ago maybe would have been able to just push through and ramp up the volume, maybe. But to be quite honest, I don't think he ever would have beat Justin Gaethje, this version of Justin Gaethje, because he doesn't he just he insists on fighting a very stupid fight. And that's what killed him. He never made an adjustment. He fought Justin Gaethje's fight, the whole entire fight, and he lost decisively as a result of that. What 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 adjustment did he make in that fight? Yeah, I mean, that's the only the only adjustment, and I put that in air quotes, that I heard from his corner was when he told him to throw an Imanari roll like the fourth round. And I'm like, at this point in the fight, you want to start talking about that? Like that is that just stood out to me is like they just expected Justin Gage to really gas out and not be able to hang with him for You said that right there. That keyword you said. That's that's the key word. There's a when you see fighters do a certain thing, you it's like a basketball player, like a guy who hits the last second shot or comes on in the second half. After a while that there's a price to pay for that when you make it come down to the last shot or, or you're a second half team or in Tony's case, you're a slow starter who turns it up a notch. The thing about it is sometimes, and I've said this before camps get enamored with the idea of the fighter. They fall for the same romantic aspect of the fighter that the fans do. Oh, Tony's going to drown in the volume. Oh, Justin's going to get tired. Oh, Tony can walk through anything that, that and his corner bought into that. They, they essentially didn't give him any real technical adjustments to make to counter what Justin was doing or to hide what he was doing to make it more effective. They just kept rolling him out there, telling him he's doing great, he's doing fine, Justin's getting tired. That's not cornering. Telling somebody somebody else is getting tired does you no good. How are you going to make them tired? How are you going to make them stop doing what they're doing? Because even if you're getting tired, and I keep countering you every time you come in, even if I'm tired, you can't exploit it. You don't have a chance to put one, two, three, four shots together. Your, your momentum gets interrupted. Your footwork gets interrupted. Your distance management gets interrupted by my counters and my leads. They, ha- they had no answer. They just figured eventually Tony would get him because eventually Tony gets everybody. I guarantee you their only concern was Justin Gaethje's power. We don't care what Justin hits us with. If we can make it through the second or third round, he's going to tire. We're going we're gonna to beat him up on the feet, probably take him down, finish him on the ground. I can almost guarantee you that's what they thought was going to happen. They didn't have a backup plan. They had no ability to adjust because they thought Tony was going to do what Tony always does. They ignored what was happening in the fight and let that man take an unnecessary beating. That fight shouldn't have gone. That fight should have been stopped halfway through the fourth round, if not before the fourth round. He had no adjustment. I mean, everybody's on Twitter talking about, oh, look at the chin on him. If I'm, if I'm your corner, that's the last thing I want people talking about. That means you're getting hit clean and clean repeatedly. That means I'm leaning on your ability and your durability to win the fight instead of your all-round skills, your IQ, or your ability to adapt and adjust. That means I can't see any way for adapt and adjust. They didn't use the front kick enough. They didn't transition from punching into takedowns. Not even if you don't get the takedown. Use the takedown attempt to wear Gaethje down. Gaethje isn't used to being wrestled with. If you got this cardio, why aren't you using that as weapon? They didn't. They just sent him out there and said, he's going to get tired if you keep on walking at him. They weren't even fighting at a pace for him to get tired at. He couldn't set the pace because Gaethje was two steps ahead of him technically, and they had no answers. This was like, I talked about this on Twitter before I let you respond. It's like Caroline Kovacavich. Now, we know Caroline Kovacavich is an elite, but what was her issue in her last couple of fights? She was fighting 
athletic, dynamic strikers, and she kept eating left hooks. She kept walking in straight lines. She kept getting turned and kept getting countered and couldn't get momentum going and couldn't get her hands on her opponents to wear them down or physically bully them. That's what happened to Tony. Tony lost the same way as Carolina has been losing for the last year and a half. And their team, both people's team, had no ability to adjust it. They had no ability. They had no suggestions. They had no answers. So I want to talk about adjustments because it's something that a lot of people are talking about that moment when Trevor Whitman basically got in Justin's ass at the end of the second round when he got himself fucking highlight reeled. That could have been a, if there would have been two more minutes in the fight in that round, that would have been a very bad situation for him when he took that bad uppercut and, and fell down. and Well, gotten put down, I, I should mean. Trevor Whitman talking to him on the stool there was, a, was an adjustment to me. Not necessarily an adjustment in a technique standpoint, but a get-your-head-in-the-fucking-game type of, of adjustment because he knew what happens to Justin when he gets complacent like that, and complacent is exactly what caused him to take that uppercut. As someone who has coached people in the past, talk about that moment for me. Well, I mean, and I, I'm a big fan of Trevor, and Trevor knows this. Since the interview, I've talked to him numerous times, sent him, sent him emails, DMs. Like, before, before they fought Rose, Rose fought Joanna, I was like, she's going to knock her out. I, I stayed in touch with him. He's a good guy. Didn't but we have him on is, the show a while back? Yeah, he was on the show. That's, That's what, what I was saying. Before. He's, That's what I thought. He's on the show. Since he's been on the show, I, I stay in touch with him regularly. I mean, not regularly, but I talk to him enough. He's a cool guy. Always willing to talk, always willing to have answers. But this is something that this is something you see in boxing you don't see in MMA very often. People don't they don't they don't pay attention to what's happening in the rounds. In MMA camps, and I, and this is gonna sound like I'm piling on, but I'm just stating facts. There's a certain way they think the fight's gonna go. There's a certain belief they have, and even if it's wrong, erroneous, even if it's a lie, they're gonna tell the fighter that. And they're gonna tell him, if you do A, B, C, D, and E, this is going to happen. You're gonna outgrapple him. He can't strike with you. He can't stand with you. His power is nothing. His cardio is nothing. They say that. And I've been in camps, I'm like, what are you telling him? That, that's not true. Oh, I gotta build his confidence up. Building his confidence up, lie isn't gonna help. Trevor Whitman is paying attention to what's actually happening in the fight. Justin Gaethje made the same mistake that Conor McGregor made against Nick D- Nate Diaz in the first fight. He's trying to go all out and blow this dude out of the water. Some guys, you can't just blow them out with one or two shots or five or six shots. You've got to chip away at them and then eventually break them down. Justin was throwing too much heat. He's bombing on this dude, and the bombing on somebody is great. But the thing about it is when you're really putting heat on shots, your shots aren't as smooth, they're not as natural, and it gives your opponent space to find his counters. That's all it was. Justin was starting to walk him down. He's starting to build momentum. He's starting to get a little greedy. He overextends, bam, gets hit with that uppercut. And luckily it was in the round because it would have been early in the round, Tony's all over him and we don't know what happens from that point. I'm not saying Tony wins, but it's a much more difficult situation. He got complacent. He got greedy. He started looking for the knockout. He started loading up a little bit and he, and he paid the price. From that point on, he took, took some power off the shots and he's letting the shots flow. When the shots are flowing, that's how you tell somebody has knockout power, when they're throwing normal shots and they're knocking people out. When you're loading up or really sitting down on your shots, that's not real power. That's you putting that extra into it. That's why Jeremy Stevens gets countered so often. He told him to stop doing that, take some power off, because you're telegraphing and you're making your shots obvious. When you telegraph and I see the shot coming, no matter how hard you hit me, I have a better chance of surviving it because my body can brace and prepare for it. When I don't see the shots coming, that's when they become more dangerous. That's when it becomes harder for me to prepare. That's when it's harder for me to find the counters. So he just told Justin, take some power off it, get back to what you're doing, stay focused, and break them down. And that's 
it's not always technical adjustments. Sometimes it's strategical adjustment. It's not, oh, well, get the takedown. It's, it's attempt takedowns. Well, I can't get him. Yeah, but he's not used to defending him. He's a better striker than you. By round two, if you've got any gas left, he's tired. You're used to wrestling. He's not. He has to defend five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten takedown attempts. By round three, his punches don't have that snap. His footwork isn't that sharp. Those kicks don't come as hard. They don't come as fast because now he's tired because he's had to grapple, which Tony would have been prepared. His, his team could have made an adjustment, but they didn't. They didn't have a strategical or technical one. All, all Woodman did was rein his guy in and refocus him and tell him something strategical to do. Take some power off him. And once he started doing that, he, Tony couldn't get, a, could, couldn't get out of the way of any of those shots. Uh, it, it was a good job by him. It was a good job. Justin was much more prepared prepared for Tony than Tony was prepared for Justin. And, just, and Justin has just been much more prepared as a fighter. He's been much more prepared as a fighter than Tony has. For the last two or three years, Tony's been living on reputation, fighting very stupidly, getting into exchanges with guys he should be wiping the floor with because he insists on breaking them. And his corner, and instead of telling him, hey, that's work now, let's get these all-round skills back together, they, they let him dictate because he's the boss of his own camp. You're the fighter. You're not the boss. Somebody has to be able to check you and tell you what to do and how to do it better. And they let Tony do whatever he wants. And it finally caught up to him. And I said it's gonna, it has been catching up to him. But it finally really caught up to him at the time he could not afford for it to catch up to him. This is just poor corner work, poor development, and poor ability to adjust. It, it, they were just, it was just one side of fight in so many levels. Eddie Bravo shouldn't be very happy with himself. It's not just we lost to the better man. You had no answers for him. You served your guy up to take a career-altering beating. You can lose, or you can lose in devastating fashion. Not only did he lose, he took an excessive beating, and he lost in devastating fashion. He had no answers. Where's the striking coach? How come you don't have an answer for the left hand? Why isn't he double jabbing? Why isn't he front kicking? Why isn't he transitioning? All these coaches, what, where's the suggestion? That is a good question because I, I feel like he didn't get any from a round round basis. It was just more of the same and it got p- progressively keep, keep worse. Him. You're doing great. It got keep pressuring him. Worse at, He's going to tire. He's going to tire. Keep pressuring him. What, what does that mean? What, it means what, we what, don't have any idea what's going on. Not, not double jab. Not jab, front kick, not teep to the body, not snap kick to, snap, snap kick to the head, not attack his legs too, not let's try to create some scrambles to make him get out of his rhythm. Nothing. Just keep going. Like they really expected him to, to just follow the script. This isn't, no offense, WWE. This isn't a movie. You have to adjust to what's happening, and they had no ability. They're basically like a camp that depends on the fighter, and if the fighter's not, they're basically a front runner's camp. If the fighter is not winning, if not dominating, they don't know what to do. Essentially, he might have been winning in spite of his corner for all these years, is what it seems like. Whoops, my fault. That was a super deep cut there, Shawan, where you said he might be winning in spite of his, his team. That's a deep cut. That, dude, that dude's gotten worse for the past four years, and everybody got mad at me for saying, and remember, we were on the show. That's why I was, that's why I smiled. I was like, nobody could have pictured Justin would have beat him in the fifth round. That's funny, because that's exactly what I said last week. I said he's going to put too much punish on him. He outclasses him everywhere, and he's not going to give him a chance to get his momentum. If it goes five rounds, he'll still stop him late. He'll stop him late because he's the better fighter, and there's no way Dan- Tony can take that much punishment and turn it back on. You're assuming that Justin's going to gas himself out. But when you're better than someone everywhere on the feet, how are, you, how are they going to gas you out? How are they going to tire you? They can't get to you. 
when they don't hit as hard as you, when their footwork isn't as good and they have no defense? How exactly are they planning on tiring? That works against Anthony Pettis. He has no footwork and defense. His boxing is limited. That works against Donald Cerrone. He's a slow starter, and he's not a great defensive striker either. That works against Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee gets tired, and he's not a good defensive striker. Tell me again, who's a good striker with, with real power who it works against? There is none. He's been beating up on second and third tier lightweight and looking, looking, looking flawed doing it. I don't understand how anybody didn't see this coming. Oh, fifth round, he'll be tired. Based off what? What are you based now? Because he, he wore out Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis always gets tired. He wore out Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee always gets tired. He Kevin wore Lee out Donald Cerrone. Tired. Yeah, I was like, well, well, Justin Poirier made Justin get tired. Justin Poirier is a different kind of fighter in regards to power and boxing skill and defense. Same thing for Eddie Alvarez. Tony Ferguson don't have that, and he don't have the good enough sense to use all his skill set. Dustin Poirier is a, is a much better fighter than people give um, him credit for, even with his losses. Um, but much smarter I, fighter, too. Much smarter, yeah. That's definitely the word I want to use. Let's talk about what's next for these two guys, because you have Justin Gaethje, who is a, he's, he is an interim lightweight champion, even though he threw the belt down like he didn't want it. So what do you think? It, well, okay. You've seen, I'm sure you've seen by now the tweet by Conor McGregor talking about he's looking forward to the lightweight title fight in July. I, I mean, you know, it is what it is. If that's what the UFC wants to do with him, I'm, I'm kind of tired of his shit. But if that's what the UFC wants to do to make a, a huge event and a huge payday, I totally understand. I understand the business component of it. Um, but what do you think should be next for Justin? Should he go after the fight with um, Namaga Madoff, or is that fight with McGregor in July much more lucrative to him? Well, my question is, how long is Namaga Madoff going to be out? Doesn't he take like he the said, summer off? He said he could be back. I think he um, posted that he could be back as early as August. As early as August. So what's the May right now? Mar- May? Yeah. May, June, July, August. So as early as August, so like four months from now. I guess that's feasible. If everything goes right and there's nothing that goes wrong four months from now, I don't know if you want to wait a whole four months and not have – I mean, I know Justin gets paid very well. I don't know if the UFC wants to have him off for four months, not defending, not fighting, not anything. I'm not saying it's impossible, but a lot can happen in four months. What if Nermega Madoff gets sick? What if he gets injured? Now it's gone from four months to six months. Now it's six months to eight months. I mean, there's not a lot of legitimate draws in the weight class. If, he, if, if it's going to just be four months or three and a half months, I guess it's fine. I mean, Justin's perfectly healthy. He's just going to be sitting around doing nothing. So maybe that's for the best. But once it starts getting around that two or three month mark, I don't know that the UFC isn't like, hey, dude, we want you to fight again. Is he turning them down? He's saying, I'm only fighting Khabib again? Maybe. Maybe not. He called out Conor McGregor before. He's been saying he wants to fight him. The payday is still there. And if he beats Conor and he beat Tony, then the fight with Khabib becomes even bigger. The, the money machine gets even more behind him because if he beats Connor, it ain't going to be by submission. We know that. He's going to have to knock him out. So, I mean, it's really whatever Justin does. Personally, I think he would go after Connor for the payday and to get the extra steam on it, especially if he knocks out Connor McGregor. That's a huge feather in your cap. Nobody in the UFC can say they've done that. Nobody can say they've done that, period, in, a, in, in MMA. Um, I, I could see him waiting for Khabib, but I, I just don't know that Khabib is going to be in any rush to come back. Uh, maybe he will. I, I just don't see it. And four months is a long time to be on the shelf. I mean, training and everything, yeah. But four months is a long time to be on the shelf, not doing anything. 
Yeah, that's very true. I agree with you on that. What about Tony Ferguson? Um, I felt some type of way after watching him take that beating, and I was really concerned about his mental state, to be honest. Just because of what he's been through in the past and some of the situations at, at home that were that seemed mental health based, based on how they were reported. So I hope he takes some time off, but to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him back in there super soon. And that kind of stands out to me. That's a little bit problematic. No, he should take a long break. He, if he, he has a fresh orbital bone, he he he's been he's been exposed, dude. You can't at this stage of your career, you cannot. He's been taking beatings for the last four, five, six, eight fights he's been in. Beatings. Firstly, Kevin Round, even though he won against RDA, beatings. Michael Johnson took a beating against Anthony Pettis. Took a beating just because he won didn't mean to take a beating against. Donald Zeroni took a beating. Then against Justin Gaethje, he took a five-round beating in, in stoppage. You do not take that sort of punishment fight after fight after fight and think it will not have a toll on you, especially when you're having injuries, you're coming back from early, you're making weight twice in a twice in a two-week period. That Your body only has so many wars it has in it. That's why you're supposed to be defensively sound so your body does not get tested every time out. I don't know how much he has left. And if he's going to continue to fight the way he always does, which is press, 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 exchange shots, walk into shots, uh, he's not going to last very long. He's going to start being a step. He's going to start being a stepping stone. I mean, if he chooses to fight intelligently, he has enough skills, he has enough experience to outclass and outmatch guys and attack them in various spots. The question is, is he going to have enough sense to use it? Because his his durability is, is no longer a guarantee. Durability is no longer a guarantee. His cardio is no longer a guarantee. His ability to push the pace and his physicality is no longer a guarantee. It isn't. So it's going to require him to fight with a little bit more control and more, more controlled aggression and poise than he's been used to fighting with. I don't know that he's capable of doing it. I'm not sure that the corner and the camp he has is capable of in, it, installing that, that kind of discipline and that kind of approach. So here's the thing. Um... You said he should take the time off. But in all reality, this is UFC we're talking about. We're not talking about the NFL. We're not talking about NBA or whatever. We've, seen, we've been saying the same thing about Donald Cerrone for how many years? And he fought on this card. So if Tony Ferguson somehow figures out a way that he wants to get in there sooner rather than later, there's no way that, that the UFC would uh, stop him from doing that. So, That's true, but Donald's, on, Donald's performing worse than he ever has. He's been on these extended losing streaks. He's been knocked out, stopped twice in his last three, three or four fights, or he's been stopped three times in his last four fights. He doesn't look nearly as good as he used to, and halfway through, Donald made an adjustment that extended his career. Tony's past the point of extending it because he's no longer in his prime. I'm not saying he can't compete. I'm not saying he can't even get wins. I'm just saying all the things he's he's been able to depend on exclusively no longer are guarantees. And it's different when you don't have those advantages you've used to, been used to having your entire career. When you're used to being the fastest guy in a fight, and all of a sudden now you're the third fastest, it, it changes your whole approach. Yeah, I just hope that he does take some time off. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't, but yeah, I just hope that he does. Um, let's talk about the co-main event where... This is your opportunity here to gloat, man, where Dominic Cruz got stopped in the first or second round by Henry Cejudo, stopped the strikes. And a lot of people were harping on the on the initial stoppage, saying that it was bad. I don't think it was. Yes, um, Dominic Cruz was, was trying to use the cage to get back to his feet. He was getting back up, but he ate 
what was it? At least I counted at least 12 um, strikes to the head, maybe one or two of those missed while he was turtling face down. And in my opinion, at that at that point, that's a bad stoppage. Yes, he tried to stand back up, but that was when that the fight was stopped at that point. Um, so that's my first question to you about this bout here. Was that stoppage legit? And if not, why'd you think so? Uh, it was. I mean, I understand he's getting back up, but the fact of the matter is he got dropped really hard, and when he got dropped on his back, the first thing to, uh, Henry came in, he landed another big shot. And like I said, he's getting back to his feet, but he hasn't defended or gotten away from the shots. Cejudo still had control against him. He was up against the fence taking He was on the ground taking shots with his arm control. He was up against the fence taking shots with his arm control. He hadn't he hadn't started firing back. He hadn't broken the contact. He hadn't gotten away from Cejudo. Yeah, he was establishing and maybe setting to tie him up and attempt to take down, but the whole time he's taking shots. I won't say it's the best stoppage in the world, but he hadn't intelligently defended him yet. He hadn't stopped him from hitting him. If he had tied him up, okay, he had stopped him from hitting him. If he gotten away, he had gotten away from him. If he started firing back, he's firing back. He was still just there getting to his feet, eating shots. At no point had he stopped the flow of shots or returned fire. That's the only two things is acceptable is, is, um, is intelligent defense. I mean, if that's the case, then Hendon Burrell shouldn't be right favor when he's pointing thumbs up and he's taking punches. What's the difference? He hadn't stopped Hendon from hitting him. Dominic hadn't stopped Henry from hitting him. Except Uriah sitting here thumbs up saying, I'm okay, and they stopped the fight. So if I'm not going to stop the fight for a guy saying thumbs up, I'm okay, how am I not going to stop the fight for the guy who's just standing there taking punishment? Yeah, he got to his feet, but he ain't escaped. He ain't created space. He ain't fired back. He's just taking punishment. Yeah, I immediately thought of that um, Uriah Faber hitting Burrell stoppage as well. Um, I thought about that as well, too. Let me ask this. You know, We're going to kind of move right through that one because I don't think there's too much of a debate there. So he got his win. Um, Cejudo got his big win. And you made the argument that he is top five all time. I feel like a lot of people are coming, or the conversation was kind of growing leading into the fight, and now a lot of people really kind of stand on that. I still disagree, but does his retirement impact where he stands on that list? Do you think he's really retired? And if so, does it impact where he stands on that list? I can see him legitimately being tired. I mean, to be quite honest, he's beaten the legend. He's beaten, he beat the legend. He beat TJ, who was at worst the second best band of Some people were saying the second one of the best band of of all time. He beat Demetrius Johnson, who was one who was the best who was one of the best bantamweights. Was the best flyweight. Beat Dominic Cruz, who was arguably the best bantamweight. It's I don't know necessarily what he comes back for unless they're willing to pay him a ton of money. As I said before, fighting Peter Yan is great for is great for Yan. What does it do for Cejudo? Peter Yan's high risk, low reward. He ain't getting him a big payday. He's not getting him on the cover of magazines. He's not getting him on the head of of ESPN. Cejudo's fame would make that happen. Nothing Jan can contribute to the fight would make that happen. Same thing with Sterling. And to be quite honest, he's beaten better competition at a at, at flyweight than neither one of those guys beat at bantamweight, and he's beaten better bantamweights than either one of those guys has beaten. So it's, it's not, I don't think he's scared of them. I think they present problems, and that Dominic Cruz fight makes me makes me concerned for him moving forward if he does. But they don't do anything for him financially. They don't do anything for him legacy wise. They don't do anything for him as far as is um, expanding his brand. So if they're not going to pay him the way he wants, and they're not going to increase his overall brand, he doesn't want to be part of it. Like I said, I mean, he, he's competed at the highest level in wrestling, competed at the highest level in mixed martial arts. Really, what else is there to do? Where else can he go but down from here? 
So you think he's really going to stay away? I think, I don't know, man. I think he may be leveraging for that featherweight title fight. What do you think about that? Do you think he would stand, not stand a chance against Volkanovski, but what would that fight look like if he does find a way to leverage himself into that space? I, I, I think the, the size is going to catch up to him. He had problems with Cruz in regards to his punching power, his physicality. He's used to taking guys down and them staying down. That wasn't happening with Cruz. He's used to hitting guys and they react a certain way. That didn't quite happen with Cruz. He's used to when guys hit him, he reacts a certain way. That didn't quite happen with Cruz. I thought he had the athleticism advantage, yeah, the wrestling advantage. I thought he had a striking advantage. But even with all those advantages, it wasn't like he was just pulling away clearly from Dominic. He was landing multiple clean leg kicks to a guy who doesn't routinely take leg kicks and it, I didn't really see Dominic limping or slowing down. And you would think if a guy who's a world-class athlete is landing that many leg kicks, you, you see, even for a round, you'd see some kind of effect. I didn't see a huge detriment to Dominic's movement or Dominic's pace or, or in Dominic's mobility as far as him being in pain or, or impaired. I think the size is an issue. As good a wrestler as he is, you can be a good wrestler, but when you're facing guys with good counter-wrestling, there's punching involved, and you have these guys who might be 15 to 20 pounds heavier than you coming into a fight. It's harder to keep them down. It's harder to keep them off you. And if they get you down, it's, it's, it's harder to keep, get, get back up yourself. I, size matters at a certain point, especially when you're facing world-class athletes. And in the case of Volkanovski, he's big, he's physical, he's got excellent cardio, and he's a guy who was, coming to, who was like a, a heavyweight uh, rugby player. So he's, he's probably got huge physical strength. Huge size, huge, huge musculature. It's not going to be easy to take him down, to bully him, to push him back, or to control him. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be a lot of work. And I felt that Henry showed some flaws against Dominic in that fight. It wasn't a clean, dominant, one-sided win by any means. So, since so, so Hudo was talking as if he's already out of the picture, and we kind of bumped him up to maybe potentially challenging him for the 145 title. Did you see his suggestion about a bantamweight tournament for the belt between Jan, Sterling, um, Sanhagen, and who was the third that he mentioned? Was it Marvin? Morales. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, what do you think about that? How would that play out? Four-man tournament. I'd say Jan has the biggest advantage. He's shown the best cardio. He seems to be the most durable guy. I don't know how durable, but he seems to be the most durable guy. He seems like the biggest, most physical fighter. I think our physical advantages alone, he can pitch and catch and fight it. He can pitch and catch better than Sterling. He's more physical than Marais and more physical than Sterling. And I think he's a better striker. He's at least a better striker than Sterling and, and Sandhagen. I think Sandhagen's very explosive and he's a good finisher. I don't know that he has a physicality against a guy who can handle his power, handle his his explosiveness. I don't know what he does when a guy physically puts his body on him and tries to impose his will. I don't know that he can handle that. I'd probably say Sanhagen and, and Jan would be my favorite. Well, Jan probably being the, the odds on favorite to win it. Good thoughts. Good thoughts there. Let's move on to another topic for today. Um, we are talking about that heavyweight bout between Francis Ngannou and Jared, Rog Jared Rosenstruck where Ngannou needed only, what was it, 18, 20 seconds to put that man to sleep. And yeah, it was, I mean, just another thing of the same. He comes in swinging, chin up, arms flailing, and he just touches you. Jared goes down, goes down in a heap. I'm not going to say this is a big win for Ngannou because it's, it's like he's, not. Been doing, he's been doing this for 
the last year or so. He's been doing this most of his USC run. But should he should this have been an interim title bout? And if not, what do we need to do? Oh, actually, let me just ask that because that's one of our listener questions today. Should this have been an interim title bout for um, Ngannou? Did he lose a lot taking this fight? No, nah, he didn't lose a lot. He just didn't gain a lot. Uh, it shouldn't have been an interim title. Uh, even though he's beaten a lot of other guys, he still lost to Derek Lewis. He, there's still other top guys he hasn't fought. He hasn't fought, he hasn't fought Cormier. He, he hasn't fought the best of the best of the heavyweight division. He hasn't beaten Lewis. He fought him, but he didn't beat him. He hasn't fought... He hasn't fought Cormier. He fought Stipe, but he lost to him. And Stipe's still the champion, and fairly dominantly so. So I don't, I don't know that an interim belt was necessary because it's not like Stipe's refusing to fight for his own personal reasons or he's unable to fight, really. And it hasn't, it hasn't been that long since he's defended his titles. So I, I don't necessarily know that you can... I mean, the UFC can do whatever they want, but I don't know that you can justify coming up with an interim title at this point. Um, I don't think they should do an interim title unless Stipe can't defend the title in the next six months. If he can defend the title sometime in the next six months or he's willing to defend it, I don't think they should strip him. I don't think that, I don't think it does any good. If if Francis gets it and he's been beaten by Stipe, it's no better than when Dom, Daniel Cormier got it and he had been beaten by John Jones. People were like, what the fuck is this, dude? Like, you're an interim champion. You couldn't beat the dude. Like, you had a shot and you couldn't beat him. So you want me to buy you as a champion? Mm. Mm. Unless they unless they strip Stipe completely, I don't think they should do an interim, interim belt of any sort. We're going to talk about the Stipe Matrix situation in a second, um, but before we do that, let me ask you this: What stood out um, from this card for you? Did anything else stand out? I got a couple of questions. Like, um, did we learn anything new about Greg Hardy? Um, is Alexi Onik on the rise? Uh, what did you think about the the scoring around? Michelle Watterson versus Carla Esparza. Those are just some of the thoughts that came out of mind to me. But what stood out to you? Uh, well, first, I'll hit on the Ngana thing. That was like Ronda Rousey, Betch Cohea. That guy is not good on the front foot. He's he's not on the back foot. When he picks his shots and he can counter, he doesn't look bad. He looks fairly educated. But he's really not a seasoned striker, and a lot of his success is based purely on athleticism. He missed four or five shots, got countered on each one of them, and landed one shot. That's not good striking, and that shows me that he has not been shoring up his overall offensive and technical skills as far as the footworks, the setups, and the execution, which means he's still at a disadvantage against somebody like Stipe. As far as the Watterson, as far as the fight, um, I think Carla didn't fight a very smart fight most of the fight. Michelle didn't do enough to capitalize on it. It essentially was one with Carla's forward pressure and her takedown attempts. Michelle, for some reason just wasn't committed to sitting down on her shots and putting pressure and really putting shots together on Esparza. She she was winning some rounds closely, but she wasn't doing any damage and she wasn't landing any volume. So whoever imposed their will, whoever was willing to push the pace, won the fight. How I looked at that was that if she would have kept fighting like she did in the first round, she would have won that. But she started being solely focused on stopping the takedown and she wasn't doing anything else. And I gave enough room for Carla to throw those fury, those, those flurries of shots, even though they weren't really landing cleanly and she wasn't landing too much. She was able to throw those and make it look like she was doing more on the um, scorecards. Michelle was just focused so much on defending the, the, the takedowns, which she did throughout the fight, that she just didn't do anything else to show that she was winning. 
it's like just defending a submission. You can't just defend it. You have to escape it completely and punish someone. She was defending it, but she wasn't making Carla pay. So if I'm a judge, I'm saying, okay, Michelle won this first round. She looked hot. She's got some counter. She's got some lead. She's kicking her. She's punching her. She's controlling the pace. And then all of a sudden I see Michelle defending takedown after takedown, but not getting off offensively. In my mind, I'm thinking either she's tired or she's scared. Either way, she's not being offensive where this other fighter is. Now, maybe it's not effective offense, but the other fighter's not doing anything. And this fighter's at least making an attempt and forcing it into neutral position. She's controlling the pace. She's dictating how this fight's going. I have to go to the person who's dictating the pace. I have to go to the person who seems to be taking control of the momentum of the fight. Like you said, Michelle Watterson gave her the fight. She didn't want to give up a takedown She didn't because she felt like she couldn't wrestle with Carla. She couldn't defend Carla on the ground. So she didn't want to take any chances. But in every fight, there's calculated risk, and she refused to take any. And it's basically what bit her in the butt. Carla, when she was throwing those flurries, she could have walked into a snap kick, a straight right hand. She could have walked into a takedown herself, but she was willing to take those chances to take over the momentum of the fight and to force um, Michelle out of her comfort zone. That's what she did. Michelle didn't force Carla out of any comfort zone. She tried to sit on her lead, and that wasn't going to be enough. That's not against somebody who's got as much experience as as far as you're not going to be able to sit on a lead when you don't hit for power. You're not a physically imposing fighter. Let me look at something really quickly because I, out of curiosity, Carla Sparza is now sitting, well, they haven't updated the rankings yet, but do you think we're looking at a situation where, huh, where she can find herself ranked in the top. She's sitting at number seven right now. Do you think she could find herself ranked at, um, anytime soon? Uh, like, she could. Any, like, I mean, in the, in the uh, top five. She won't be ranked above somebody like Joanna, but the fact of the matter is Joanna just lost, so she's not necessarily an option for a, re- for a title fight. Who else is in there? Um, Watterson's gone now. Who else is there? Like, maybe Claudia Gadelia, but she's not on a real winning streak. Um, Carlos Suarez could legitimately find herself as a top five, top four fighter. I mean, Ansaroff is out of the picture. Suarez is out of the picture. Joanna Joanna's going to need to recover, so she's going to be out of the picture for an extended period. There's like her and Claudia. Who else is really in, in any position to fight for the title at this stage? I popped open maybe, the maybe, maybe Andrade. Maybe Andrade, but Andrade's coming off a knockout loss. So... I mean, yeah, the only she would have to fight and defeat. Like, I would like to see a, a rematch between her and Rose Namajunas. That would be interesting. Um, well, but she could say that, but she'll be like, "I already beat Rose. I've already beat Rose, I mean, and Rose is coming off. Rose is coming off a knockout loss. Andrade is coming off a knockout loss. None of them have put any wins together. I've got more, more wins than anybody else who's ahead of me right now, with the exception of a uh, of a uh, Zang. Everybody else, I've got more. I've she's put two or three wins together. Well, who else has done that? Andrade hasn't fought since. Nami Yunus hasn't fought since. Jen is fighting this weekend. She's won um, one fight. Yeah, she's fighting this weekend, too. She's fighting Angela Hill, who is, oddly enough, not ranked at all, which I found interesting. But, um, yeah. Well, Carly Gadelli also has a win over Carla as far as a, a, a recent win, too. Yeah, that's so, that's her only argument. That's her only argument. That. But she could say, you know, the if... Claudia fights. If Claudia wins, she could. If she beats Esparza, she's right in title contender. If Esparza beats her, she's right in title contender. To me, they're the two closest because they're the ones who've been active. They've been consistently fighting. If I'm either one of them, I'm not fighting Andrade. Why would I? Andrade hasn't fought anybody. 
I'm not fighting her until I have to. I'm not fighting her until after I get my title shot. So I don't want to stick on UFC 249 too long. We have some other things oh, wait, to talk One more about. thing, one more thing. But Jeremy Stevens, I know people thought he was showing a new aspect of himself, but he's kind of a front runner when he makes adjustments, and he's never developed enough where his adjustments can take over a fight. He adjusts just enough to set up the things he does well. He came out against Kadar, started kicking him, kind of controlling the range, throwing off Kadar's timing, Kadar's spacing. But eventually, once, once the kicking was neutralized, once the footwork, and he started picking his spaces and, and getting in and getting out the way he wanted to and making, making Jeremy hesitate because he's countering him, Jeremy didn't have anything else. Jeremy's kind of a one-note fighter. You can add a, a trick or two, but he hasn't ever developed the overall skill set and the overall feel for the game to really switch approaches. He'll throw something in there. Maybe he'll use a jab. Maybe he'll kick the legs for a little bit. But that's only that he only can do that when he's winning and he's winning clearly. As soon as the fight goes past a certain certain time or a fight gets difficult, he starts reverting to who he's always been. And once he starts doing that, he starts missing big power shots. He starts getting pushed back. He starts getting countered. And against the best guys, he ends up getting stopped. And this was no different. I mean, he fooled everybody for a little bit with the kicks, but he's always done that. He can, make an, he can make one adjustment before the fight. He's never been able to make in-fight adjustments, and that's why he's consistently lost against the best guys. Yeah, that's, I will agree with that. That was a nasty elbow that he took and a nasty finishing sequence that he had to endure um, at the very end of that fight, too, as well. Um, I want to talk about UFC 171 and to hit some listener questions. In UFC Fight Night 171, we have Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira, and the way they are talking, they're talking as if they are next in line for a shot against John Jones. And I think that that's a little bit further from the truth because I would put both um, Thiago Santos and Dominic Reyes ahead of them. But are we looking at a situation where the winner of this fight could be slotted in for a title shot against John Jones in the near future? I don't think so. Um, Glover, as good as he's looked, and as many as when he hasn't looked dynamic, he hasn't looked unstoppable. And um, Anthony Smith just lost to Jones recently. I mean, there's a storyline with both guys. They have somewhat of a fan interest, but even if they one shot KO'd one another or, or got a quick submission, both guys have been shown to be flawed as fighters and, and somewhat limited, and they've never really dominated the, the light heavyweight division. Glover's never really done. He hasn't just been crushing guys. Even throughout his career, he's never been that dominant guy. And Smith, he's had some gritty, tough, impressive wins, but he's never seen like he was a, a step above or, or a class above the other guys in the division. For you to get a title fight, you've got to show that you're a class above guys. And um, I haven't seen that from either one. Now, maybe they could because the UFC is just trying to put fights out, but I don't know that John Jones would buy, would buy into that unless the UFC is willing to pay him more money. And I don't think anybody's paying extra money to fight have Teixeira or Smith get a rematch. It's, it's both, they're both rematches. Both fights weren't really close. What's the interest? It's great for them, but what is the interest for the casual fan? What's the interest for the UFC to put that on? Yeah, I think that, that Reyes and Santos are kind of next in line for a shot. I would hate to see a situation. Maybe even Jan. Uh, yeah, Jan, 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 um, Jan, yeah, Jan. Michael, which is on a yeah. good, strong run as well. I think this is a fight that keeps them both active keeps them both relevant in the in the rankings because I think they are they're four 
for Smith and seven, no, eight for Teixeira, which, you know, is good to keep them active and keep them away from kind of like newer prospects. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who comes well, out Glover, on top. Glover, this, Glover but, has maybe another year, year or so. He, he can't keep this up. I mean, yeah, true, because he is 40 years old. So Even if I see one, he's been taking a beating before, then he comes back. That only works for so long. I mean, yeah, he is, you know, he he's won two of his last, excuse me, he's won his last three, and he stopped two of his last three as well. Um, excuse me, he's won four of his last five, and of the three fight win streak that he's on currently, he submitted two of those guys. Yeah, I mean, you watch his fights, he, it wasn't like he just took him down to mid, and he got beat up. Really badly, almost stopped. And then he turned it right around and got the submission he needed. Yeah, and if I if I'm thinking back correctly, I think I scored the Krylov fight for Nikita. I think if I, if yep. I go back and look at that, um, but I don't think either one of these guys are closer to a title shot with a victory. Yeah, it keeps them relevant, but I think that there's a lot of other work that John Jones could be considering doing before fighting either one of those guys again. So before we move on from this card, what else stands out from? Um, UFC Fight Night 171. This is a, this is a, this is interesting to me because you know UFC is trying to bounce back. They're trying to put themselves in a position to you know be be first when it comes back to getting sports back on track in it for United States. Because I mean, even Donald Trump is out there using propaganda to thank the UFC during the um, UFC 249 broadcast where he did his, his recorded message for them. But if you look at this card, there isn't much to attract people. I mean, even myself, you know, Wednesday Wednesday is a pro wrestling night. It's a big pro wrestling night every week, so that's what's going to have my attention. Does this card draw your attention? Do you think a lot of people will stop and watch this event? I think people will watch it because they don't have any live sports. I mean, just like you heard, the rumor I heard about the two, 249, the, the pay-per-view buy rates, I can see it happening. What else are they going against? They got no competition for nothing. Even if it's not a very good fight card, it's still something live, like actual live. Nothing I've seen before, really good fighter, really good game I've seen before. Live, I don't know what's going to happen, happening in front of me, event. People pay for live content. This is live content, and nobody else has got any, except for ESPN and UFC. I mean, yeah, like the only thing that's live right now is um, professional wrestling. Yep, that's it. Only other thing. And no offense, people who think it's a sport, sports entertainment, I don't necessarily know it's a sport. If you want live competition where you don't know what's going to happen or it's not predetermined, right now the only thing you got is the UFC. So even if it's a lousy card, it, it's going to get people people looking, and they don't have to pay money to have fans in there and security. They just got to have the bare minimum. It's a bare bone operation. They should be making a lot of money off it. And the only fight I, I, I'm really interested in, I mean, it's not really a lot of interesting fights. Maybe – see how Hill does against Gadella. If, if she beats her, it'd be the biggest win of her entire career. I think it'd be like, what, a three-fight win streak, which she's never been on before? I think she's always won one, lost one, if I'm correct. So it'd be a chance for her to kind of turn the corner and make a name for herself where she's considered a real legitimate contender because she's beaten a real legitimate name or top fighter in division. Let's see. I had another thing I wanted to ask about this card here, and we'll go back to that in a second. Um, let's segue. I didn't have too much from UFC Fight Night 171 to talk about. Let's segue into some listener questions. So you hinted at it a second ago, where UFC 279 had an apparent buy rate of 700,000 purchases. 
So do you think it's more about people being interested in that one card? Or is this going to translate to these first couple of MMA shows that we see? You know, we have a show tomorrow. We have a show Saturday. Then we have a week off. Then we have another show after that. Do you expect big buy rates for all, or big viewing, viewing rates for all of those cards? Or, I expect them to be larger. But, see, but before I, I, I go with that, let me also include, if you look at what's been happening with professional wrestling, their numbers have been going down across all shows, the live and the tape ones, um, week over week. So the first one was, was really big, but then since then it's just been going down and down and down and down. So do you, would you be surprised if you see this number being really big, but by the end of May, we're looking at dwindling numbers? I think lousy cards are going to get lousy ratings, maybe slightly better. But once again, I think WWE isn't live sports programming. I think if that if the XFL was on right now, it would be killing in ratings. Because it's live, I don't know what's going to happen action. Um, obviously, you know, part of it is if you can have certain names that draw attention. I mean, could you imagine if Saturday night would have been Conor McGregor versus Tony Ferguson? Or Conor McGregor versus Justin Gagey? We're talking about that could have been a $2 million, $2 million buy, buy rate. You know, it's still going to take the right matchups to really capitalize on it. But even weak cards, in my opinion, should do better because you don't have another option. You just don't have any other option. You might not watch the whole card, but aspects of the card should sell better than others. I don't know how long they can maintain it. I don't think they can because they're not going to have enough fighters. You know, I don't think they can maintain it because they're not going to have enough fighters and quality matchups. But I think in spots, if they can get the one or two big fights on there, I think they'll be fine. True. Um, I don't think these next couple of cars are that interesting in a way that kind of stand out and that will attract a lot of attention. Like I said, this one is this one tomorrow is headlined by Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira. The co-main event is Ben Rothwell versus OSP. That doesn't move the needle for me. The one on Saturday is Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris. Now, that has a that has a great story behind it. You have Overeem, who's probably one of the most popular heavyweights of all time, and you have Walt Harris coming off of his tragic situation that they've been talking about. Um, so I think that that has a, a potential to draw some attention as well. You have Claudia Gadea, Angela Hill on that card, Anderson Barboza, uh, Dan Eyeing, which I think is going to be violent. So you have some strong fights on that card. Then... You have, um, let me see, the card on that following week is, oh, yeah, that's the Tyron Woolley card. So that's Tyron Woolley versus Gilbert Burns. Uh, let's see. They only have four four fights announced for that, but they have Tyron Woolley versus Gilbert Burns. Mackenzie Dern is on it, and that's really it. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how this plays out long term um, and if these fights continue to get strong ratings. Let's see. The next question we have is Stipe Miocic. So he went on social media and said that he um, has been talking to the UFC and he's looking at a fall return date. And they're trying to make some arrangements for him to get a safe training situation, but he's planning on coming back to fight Daniel Cormier in the fall. Do you see that happening? And if not, should the UFC strip him of that title? I can see it happening. Um, 
if they strip from the title, if they strip from the title, I don't think they should. I think it's kind of a bad look for them because he's um, what do you call it? A required worker, necessary essential worker. He he's a first he's a fireman. Yeah, I mean that's that's responder. important. It's not it's not a very good storyline to be kicking, stripping your heavyweight your longest reigning and most successful heavyweight champion while he's doing things to help combat or help people through the time of this pandemic. I mean, I don't put it above the UFC, but it just seems like a really, really bad look for that to happen, no matter how much Daniel Cormier wants it to happen. Um, I, I think he's going to f- end up fighting Daniel Cormier, to be quite honest. And um, I think that'll be that. I, don't, I think the UFC might might have tried to lean on him a little bit, but I, I just don't think this is something they want to mess with. Not not during this time. They're already catching some flat because people catching corona and still having these fights. Um, stripping a first responder, who's the best heavyweight champion you've ever had of this title, isn't necessarily the move I think garners you any favors in the kind of stuff you want covered by ESPN, Fox Sports, or NBC or anybody else. Because Stipey doesn't play ball with the UFC. He'll go on a media tour and, and tear them a new one. He doesn't care. He's not trying to make friends with these dudes. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. Um, the last question we have is a reference of one Conor McGregor. And this is pretty clear. Um, my, my, I've already made my thoughts out uh, clear as day. But the question is, should Conor McGregor be included in talks around the lightweight title? Yes or no? And why not? Or why? For that, for that matter, if the UFC's in the business of making money, yeah, I mean they, the whole everybody knows they're doing this so they can make up the money. Endeavor's lost all this money, yada yada yada. If they're trying to maximize earnings, this is the time to do it. If Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson, by some miracle, really did a legit seven hundred thousand buys, what do you think Conor McGregor does for you? What do you think he does for you when he's got no competition, none, nothing? Just him. Very true. Very true. You know, I mean, so so maybe from a morality aspect and a, a real sport aspect, but MMA is not a real sport. They just make the rules up as they as they go. They put whoever they want to be a title challenger. There's no real process of elimination for title fights. You just put in whoever will make it, whoever can make it, whoever wants to make it, whoever has the most impressive win, even though it's not even over an elite guy. You know, it, it, there's no real rules arrived to it. The rules arrive is to create interesting and exciting fights for the fans and to create large sums of money for the organization. The UFC is not going to do anything to halt that. They want the fighters to bicker. They want some Connor to make a comment. Everybody say, hey, you haven't fought in lightweight in years. They want all that. All that helps their Q rating. All that helps build interest in whoever's a champion, whoever's a contender in there. All that does is help them. They want that sort of thing to happen. So should he be in it? Probably not. I mean, even though he he, didn't, he hasn't fought in 155 in how long? I mean, he lost to Khabib. His last fight was at 170. He doesn't really have a ground to stand on. But as far as being a name guy, and the fact of the matter is that he's only really only had one loss at 155, I guess from that perspective, you can't say that he belongs in it. But when you're looking at it from a truly sporting aspect, no, he doesn't. But he's going to be pushed in it because they need it. They need the fight, they need the money, and other guys in the division want the money that comes with fighting Conor McGregor. So even if he doesn't deserve it, and they say he doesn't deserve it, they're going to talk their talk, hope, hoping they get chose to be the person who gets the payday to fight him. Yeah, I mean, I think, I agree, so I think it's a big payday 
there for him to um, win. It'll be huge. So if he, especially if he's fighting on a card with nothing else going on, it's going to be a pretty big moment. Yeah, and I mean, if you're like I said, you're doing seven hundred thousand with Justin Gaethje. I'm just going to double that with Conor McGregor. I'll just assume yeah. that's a double. Just assume, and that's on the low end. That's on the low end, and he, he could he could do that number. I was telling people he should fight Anthony Pettis. I mean, Anthony, Pett, I mean, Anthony Pettis is two in his last, won two of his last three. All the fights have been exciting. No, he's two and two. All of his fights have been exciting. He's a stand-up. He's a stand-up fighter who wants to exchange. You put Conor McGregor in. Yeah, he's two and two, but Conor's only fought twice in almost a two-year period. So he needs he needs rounds. He needs fights against guys who are durable who can take it. He just he beat Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So did Anthony Pettis. It's a fight that makes sense, and it's a fight that'll sell because of Conor McGregor. You know, him and Anthony Pettis is a headliner. Does a million buys easy? Maybe a million and a half. Him against somebody who's considered a lead, a Tony Ferguson, a Justin Gaethje, another Khabib Nurmagomedov, that's $2 million plus. True, true. Um, let everybody know what you're working on, man. Let's go ahead and close the show out. What do you got in the pipeline? I'm doing articles. One's going to be I'm finishing up on, on the camps and errors they make. And another one's going to be also with camps. And it's going to be focusing on how how camps often think when a fighter is winning, they're they're getting better. And that's not always a line. You have fighters who kind of plateau, but they keep winning because they're so far ahead of the curve. But then once they lose the big fight, they they totally fall, fall off a cliff because they haven't been getting better. They've just been getting by by what they've always done. And a camp's job isn't to help you get by. The camp's job is to help you get better. They're not getting you better, and they're not doing their job. They're not doing their job, and they're essentially hurting your career long term. Maybe it won't happen now. Maybe it won't happen six months now. Maybe it won't happen six years from now. But when the money's on the line and you're in key position, it's going to cost you. Tony Ferguson's an example. Ronda Rousey is another one. You, oh, they're winning. They're winning. They're doing great. No, no. They're, they're winning over a certain caliber. They're winning in a certain way. Once these things aren't happening the way it's supposed to happen, so go, goes away the win streak, goes away the big money paydays, goes away the title. True, true. I am covering professional wrestling as usual. MMA, you know, got a lot of stuff, a lot of content coming out because things probably ramp up. But we will be back next week, as we always are, to talk about UFC Fight Night 171. And then Saturday's card, uh, let's see, do I have any professional wrestling to talk about between now and then? I will be doing a podcast on Thursday or Friday and talk about the stuff that's gone down this week. We had a pretty good show um, uh, on Sunday. You know, we got the rest of the content throughout the week. But with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is episode 163. You can go over to the flagship at MMARatings.net to rate the fights and let us know what you thought about the action and how interested you are in the upcoming fights. You can catch us on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts as well. And you can go over to YouTube MMA Ratings to watch our podcast there or listen to our podcast there twice a week. And also, finally, you can catch us on Instagram and Twitter at MMA Ratings Net in both spaces. My name is Rafael Garcia. I'm at rgarcia underscore sports. My co-host, Shawan Hume, is, in that, is at Black Jordan Breen on um, Twitter as well. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll be back next week. Good evening, everybody. Eddie Bravo, stay out of corners. You're ruining the fighters. <laughs>